today's episode concerns a topic that can be traumatic, uncomfortable, or even triggering for some listeners. The Passionate Stewardship Podcast and brand does not aim to invoke this kind of response in anyone. Instead, we want to bring awareness, education, hope, and healing to anyone who is a victim and survivor of sexual violence. If you or someone you know has been a victim of sexual violence, help and support are available. Please call your local rape crisis or even dual servicing domestic violence and sexual assault agency or contact the National Sexual Assault Hotline at one 800 Again, that number is one 800 The call is free and confidential and someone is available to support you 24-7. You can also chat online at online.rain.org. Again, you can chat online at online.rain.org. For male survivors, you too can chat online using online.rain.org. And for U.S. service members and their families, please call the Department of Defense at 1-877-995-5247. Again, that number is 1-877-995-5247. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Passionate Stewardship Podcast, a podcast for helping professionals who strongly believe in supporting their community and the humans who live there. I am your host, Dr. Sherry. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This month, we have been discussing sexual violence and we've had some amazing guests. It's been a pretty heavy month, y'all. And I appreciate you for sticking in there with me. And I hope that you have been doing some amazing self-care for your emotional self, physical self, mental self, spiritual self at the end of these episodes. But just in general, it is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And I wanted to make sure that this month, We were having conversations with individuals who face this work head on, whether you were an advocate or whether you were a survivor. And as we close out April, I wanted to bring a different voice to this conversation, a voice that is much needed, a voice from a person who has been a guest on the podcast before. He is a friend to the podcast, 
but male perspective and male voices are always needed when you are talking about sexual violence against women. So today on the podcast, we have friend to the show, the Dope Fitted Therapist. Hey, Jonathan, how are you? Hey, Dr. Sherry. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for coming back. So wanted to really have an in-depth conversation. One, with you, because you are a Black male. You are a Black social worker. And you come in contact with a lot of different clients. You also have clients that are women. And you have co-workers that are women. You know, most recently, you have come on board at the Wesley Shelter to serve as one of the first and one of the only male sexual assault advocates. As an executive director, I felt that it was important for us to, and I'm hoping in the very near future, that we'll be able to bring more men on board to serve as sexual assault support advocates because it's needed. It's not just needed because there's a lack of them and there is this notion that only women can serve in those roles, but we are seeing more men victims, both on the DVN and on the SAN. I always think that it's important to get a male's perspective on these things. Yes, I am very much a person who believes in the female voice. I am very much a person who strongly believes that, you know, women, we can change the world, but I also want to give flowers to the voice of men and to the position and the rich position that they do hold in this world and the impactful position that they can hold in this world. So wanted to talk today about this notion of toxic masculinity. And also the flip side of that, of healthy masculinity, but how toxic masculinity, how it contributes or how it perpetuates sexual violence and harassment amongst women. For you, how do you define toxic masculinity and how do you think it contributes to sexual violence and harassment amongst women? Uh, great question. Well, for one, when I was uh, reading and researching, it, it described uh, toxic masculinity as an attitude or set of social guidelines stereotypically associated with manliness that often have a negative impact on men, women, and society in general. And I know you asked about defining it. And what was your second question behind that? How do you think it contributes to sexual assault or sexual violence and also harassment towards women. Well, so many, so many angles, so many angles on that. But one starting, don't even know where to start. It's so many, so many ways to look at it. One, when we're looking at what we commonly see on TV, the movies, the roles. I was uh, taking notes now, just thinking about some of the popular urban series, uh, different shows like Power and BMF and Raising Canaan and so many movies. A lot of these films are black men or men that you see in strong roles, you know, appear successful usually with distorted things, you know, like, okay, drug dealers or street guys, 
violent, as you were saying, a lot of violence to hold that position. And what it what ends up happening is that ends up translating to the household, where you still see a lot of men not able to process what we deal with in the community in the streets well enough to be healthy as we need to be enough when we get around our mate at home. And I feel mm. like that that's what can perpetrate a lot of the violence because we're taught so much how to do, how to do, how to do, you know, how to work, how to hustle, how to grind, how to give, but we're not taught what is conflict resolution should look like or emotional resolution or emotional release, better yet. So you see a lot of that, mm-hmm. but we don't see, you still see in so many of these films I named and other movies, you'll see men where it comes out through a form of rage. Mm-hmm. Which even goes back to a, a Bell Hooks, may she rest in peace, a, a professor that I really loved. And we'll talk about that later more. I too love Bell Hooks. And mm-hmm. Bell introduced me a lot. That's another subject to feminism and what feminism mm-hmm. means. The white women perspective that traditional was showing, but pretty much summing it up being against sex suppression. And, and she had a quote where she said, for black men of all ages, it is more acceptable to express rage than to give voice to emotional needs. So I would say mm-hmm. that I would say that in addition to how she how she worded it. So we see so much of us knowing how to express our pain through anger or fighting or you know intense scenes of killing someone or almost killing someone in handcuffs versus really crying and really being emotional, you know, really being vulnerable and feeling safe. Right. It's almost like that violence is almost like an acceptable way of asserting dominance. Like if you are not being violent, then you are not being dominant. If you are not being what society would deem as aggressive or putting your foot down, then you are not being dominant. So it's almost like accepting violence is a way to assert your manliness mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in situations. Definitely. And, you know, this this leads to cultures where, you know, sexual violence is normalized. And also, you know, a lot of times, you know, individuals who commit sexual assault, there is violence that is associated with that. Or, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I try not to use... Um, sexual assault, because a lot of times there there are legalities that have to do with that. So let me rephrase that by saying sexual violence. So a lot of times individuals who are perpetrators of sexual violence, there is violence associated with that because it's, it's a way of asserting dominance. It's a, it's a, it's power and control. Yes. And so for this notion that, and not all men, I want to be very clear, not not all men are this way, but there is this notion that me being violent, me being aggressive, this is what a man is supposed to do, mm-hmm. which is unhealthy. It's unhealthy messaging for young boys to see. Mm-hmm. And it also is it's unhealthy for young girls to see because it is setting a precedent that this is how. I'm supposed to be treated by men. Yes, that's correct. Which is extremely unhealthy. 
So can you describe some, maybe some examples of, so you gave some examples of like some of the popular TV shows that are on uh, TV now um, and none of them um, I watch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, like power, it's funny you said power control because that's what, the the power is is power show season two now, but uh, Amari mm-hmm. Harwick, which is the yeah, amazing actor and played Ghost so much in Power, that's what it was about. What you're saying with the same power control words, unfortunately. So that was like mm-hmm. a core did, and that's what his whole the whole premise of him in the first whole six seasons was, or whatever. Just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The drug game and trying to on a nightclub and go legit, but having to keep, like you said, all these ways of certain power, you know, manipulation and violence and death and, you know, uh, taking over even to the point of losing his own life, ironically to his own son. So it's like just seeing and over, yeah, men over and over. And that's another thing. Cause that was something that you were hearing with so toxic, even, you know, the imagery of seeing a son, literally kill your own father. So it's like you seeing so much man on male violence and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that nice suit and that nice status, right? That nice, but then like you said, still in as well in the series, not being able to stay committed to his wife and falling in love for old flame and you know going through that later. So so it's so much of that we see too. You know, you can't you can't right. So that's that so that can go that can go along with the objectification of women. Yes, you know that that in itself is you know it's toxic. You know, you know involves seeing women as objects and you know to be conquered and dominated rather than you know human beings with their own thoughts and feelings and desires. You know, my husband and I we had this this running joke between us that you know we I always tell him like I still have autonomy over myself even though we are married and you know it's 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 this running joke between us because I was single for a very long time before I met him. So, you know, getting married and having to understand that it was now we and not I, and that I wasn't this, you know, I was uber independent and having to understand that there is, there's this union now and not this single person anymore, but just, you know, objectifying women, looking Thinking about women as property and not as human beings, you know, this can lead to this sense of entitlement amongst men that she is mine or, you know, who they feel they have a right to use and abuse women whenever they see fit, you know, and we see this a lot with clients that unfortunately that come into our office who are victims and survivors of sexual violence and also domestic violence. Like there's this, you know, we hear it from our survivors that, you know, he, he treated me as if I was a piece of property. Mm-hmm. Like that's just how, um, how he treated me. And, you know, I'm not saying again, where I'm not generalizing. I'm not saying that all men are this way, but you know, like cat, cat calling when a woman walks down the street, like, that's not cool. Catcalling is not cool. There is 
So since I've moved here to North Carolina, like I don't respond to honking horns. Didn't do it when I was in DC. <laughs> Certainly don't do it here. I don't right. respond to honking horns. And so a lot of times my husband's family will see me out and about and they'll blow their horns at me. And so they'll call him and be like, hey, I blow that Sherry and Shane pay me no attention because I don't do that. I don't blow at horns. Mm -hmm. I don't respond to the A-Sharde. What? Mm -hmm. Excuse me? Like mm -hmm. that's tip, that's catcalling. That is not how, that's not how you respond to women. That's not how you treat women. Too many times you see on Instagram now or Facebook on all these different social media platforms that women are being, you know, assaulted or harassed or even murdered because they are not taking, you know, they're not uh, giving their phone number out to a man or they are declining a man's offer for a date or for dinner simply because she said no. Mm -hmm. A complete sentence. No, period. Mm -hmm. So can you give any examples of how toxic masculinity is in action besides, you know, the cat calling? Because you have nephews mm -hmm. and you have taken on that parental role in the lives of your nephews, which is, I think, amazing. So what kinds of conversations do you have with your nephews about how they show up? with young ladies because it's important how how they show up with yeah, young women it is uh it's funny you ask that uh when i think of them now because uh, they're in college right yes the older one is i know um yeah he's in college the second one out of high school then the youngest uh Tayshaun, he is a uh, high school going to be a sophomore playing basketball and doing some things uh, and so I'm sure just being around their peers, you know, they might have this pressure to conform to what they see around them. So how do you, you know, as Uncle John, you uh -huh. know, just kind of step into like what you see is not how you are supposed to treat that, a young that, lady. Definitely great. Well, let me start with Tayshawn, which is funny with the high school generation. I'm sure you heard of this term, but simp, simp. I know it's do. I think do boy simp, but those are terms that a lot of rappers in the industry are saying that are terms now that a lot of young people hear and they take it as simp being, like you said, used by a woman or taken advantage of, or I don't want to love you and be taken advantage of. So I noticed, especially with Tayshawn, it'd be something that he would see. So what I do as an uncle is even my current girlfriend showing, not in a physical way, like, you know, necessarily hugging and all, kissing all this stuff, but I show through phone calls. I, I, I show through the willing to give gifts without trying to get nothing back. I let him mm -hmm. see me role model that genuinely. I let I, vulnerability. I let myself be vulnerable to show I'm seeking to care for someone sincerely right and, I, and i'm mm -hmm. learning ever to do that to counter the simp stereotypes of what that means because it's so dangerous because like i asked tayshaun like well how do you love somebody if, if you're a simp for trying to love you never learn how to like you said handle no and that's another subject you know we're going but handling no where it's not no like you a bad person or you not 
beautiful, you just may not be just like you go pick some shoes, it may not be their preference, your preference, right? So learning how to right. and do that. Also, I put put them in situations of being able to be vulnerable with me. I tell them I'm proud of them all the time. I call them, I text them. I, I, I listen to, I let them know that I'm not going to use stuff against you with your mom. You got feelings, put it out. I, I have facilitated meetings with the mother and us. And, and the biggest one is tell them I love them more. That, that's, that's the biggest right. one. Like I, I, I tell them, not just text them, I tell them, you know, Raquan, I love you. I'm proud of you. Juwan, I love you. I'm proud. Like, so Tayshawn, I'm proud of, you know, so letting them hear and they get used to saying that back to me where we were mm-hmm. saying we able to other and I see how that plays a huge part where they're able to mm-hmm. in that to each other you know that that's one of so the biggest you are things. showing so you are showing them healthy what healthy masculinity looks like which is so important in an era where I guess you have the shows the TV shows that you were just talking about you have where Every time I feel like lately I've been turning on the news and there have been so many murder suicides as a result of domestic Mm -hmm. violence, or there are so many, you know, there aren't these healthy images of what healthy relationships or healthy uh, father-son dynamics look Mm -hmm. like. So mm-hmm. it's important. It's so important, and it's so amazing that you are showing them that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be, even be sensitive. That's right. Thank you. And because of those things, it's dismantling this notion that men can be a catalyst, or or men can be so intri- not even dismantling this. What can it is dismantling? It's dismantling this notion that men absolutely can be a part of dismantling sexual violence amongst women. Like they don't have to be in the background. They don't have, we, men can walk with women, walk with female activists, walk with women activists and dismantle this with us. Because I don't think it just takes female voices to do this. I think it takes male voices also. So I think that there is this thing that we see sometimes in Wilson that, and I'm going to just call it what it is. You know, when you and I talk, we have no cut cards. We are real straight with it. But we see sometimes that there is this racial divide with things. That's right. That's right. And so we see it with our male victims of DVNSA. We see it with mm-hmm. our female victims of DVNSA. So, in your opinion, how can we dismantle racial stereotypes and biases that do perpetuate the myth of sexual predators amongst communities of color? Because I really think sometimes mm-hmm. women of color and men of color. We are hypersexualized. Mm-hmm. And I think because we are hypersexualized sometimes, that in itself, it perpetuates sexual violence against us. So how can we dismantle those stereotypes? Like I it's it's sickening almost. It, it, it's bad enough that just the the fact alone that the melanin in our skin is weaponized against us. Mm-hmm. But now my God-given curves or 
your God-given masculinity is now a racial stereotype and it perpetuates this myth of, of sexual promiscuity and you know amongst our community. Mm-hmm. So what can we do as a black community, as a community of the African diaspora? What can we do as a community? Because like this conversation, this probably can be a, a episode all in itself because this yeah. dates back to enslaved people. So that could be a whole episode. So but here I want to stay in the moment because we can go down the yeah big yeah. we can go down the big rabbit hole with this one. Yeah. <laughs> but how can we dismantle these racial stereotypes? Well, like you said, I was thinking when you was talking that now. You're right. We know history without going so deep. I remember at NC State watching an African American film class, "Birth of a Nation," which was supported mm-hmm. by the president. At the time, which was doing everything you saying, the big, the big lips, the 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 black male grabbing the white lady, and I think at the end of, if I'm right, she jumped off a cliff or something, and it was just like trying to avoid the black male, like he was just trying to grab her so much, like big lips, and and it was hurtful watching it. But professor, who was a white woman, you know, uh, so showing she was a what's the word? She was a advocate or supporter as well we need that on both sides it it's it went back to what you're saying now how history can repeat itself so even though that was 1900s early that's still what you just said it's still something that was on screen that was politically justified and said about us and stamped to society about black males are just all over it and and, and we can't get enough and we all over the place but going with solutions like you're saying we have to, Dr. Shea, we have to be do a way better job of being inclusive. And what I mean is, okay, let's look at the school system. Over 79% based on research in 2018 are white women teachers. And it's nothing against that particularly. But what I'm saying with that is that's not a black male voice, right? So it's like we have to have right. more teachers, more Social workers, even with you all with the Westy Shelter, which I tell you all the time in private, so appreciative to be able to be one of a first male advocate along with others behind me. Like you have to be inclusive of more men and boys. You have to give them safe spaces, you know, literally to express and speak without being judged and be able to say how they feel. That's like when I said my youngest nephew Tayshawn, the simp comment is something that teachers may need to understand to have like a circle or group and, but let people speak it and then come with answers based on our feedback. You know, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. we, have be, we have to be more inclusive, you know, even going back with the answers. I remember going, same thing with NC state. There was a documentary called no, uh, I think Ashita Simmons. I couldn't quote it. I don't know if you heard of it. it can't, she did a documentary about women that were telling their stories, right. About being mm-hmm. sexual sexually sexual violence as you were saying sexual violence and she mm-hmm. came to campus i was a part of a men's group that were that's one of the solutions the men's group that i was a part of we were men that was taking responsibility against sexual violence so we were willing to be seven or eight men on campus really not trying to because people take that too let's be honest with women right so not doing it to try to holler or not doing it to try to get close to women but sometimes women will have a issue to feel like can they trust that are we genuine right mm-hmm. so, 
So right. I did. I also took, that's why I heard of bell hooks. I took my own, I took a feminist class. I was the only male in the class, literally. And it was mainly uh, white women, a few black women, but I did that not to holler again. I did that because I really wanted to put myself out to challenge myself and my thinking and be involved. So with, we, when she shot her fam on campus, I was actually uh, humbled to get, I was actually given the opportunity to MC the event. So that was, mm. that was major because most were women. So to be trusted, to be a male figure and to be MCing something sensitive where you have women crying in there and young college women telling their stories and sharing and be trusted with other male colleagues about, yeah, it was called more. It was men against rape culture. That was an organization. I was okay. a part of. And, and to be able to be picked, it, it just, that was doing what you're saying. That's how the answer was made. It wasn't making it, hey, this is just a women's session. We bashing all the men. It was like, no, we need you men, right? Like you always said, right. I need you as a part of the conversation and the solution. So um, I would say the same. We have to be a part of conversations. We have to be a part of solutions, you know, which right. goes saying the intersection we're going to about race and all these different ways that we are kept out of pockets that we need to be in. I agree. I mean, that there definitely needs to be more. I think, you know, that whole, I think it, it kind of goes back to our episode we did back in February. It's about representation. Like we got to be in these yes, rooms. Yes, and I say it got to be. Sorry, my English, y'all. I told you, I, I promise y'all I'm a doctor for real. <laughs> we have, <laughs> we right. have to be in these rooms. We have to be. It's not, it's not an option. We have to be in these rooms. You know, as human service professionals and as social workers, we are on the front line providing the services for that man, for that woman, if they are, if they choose to come forward after they've been uh, assaulted, if they choose to come forward, if they choose to pick up the phone and call a rape crisis hotline or a dual servicing agency like the Wesley Shelter, if they choose to make that phone call, and if they choose to go to the hospital, like it's that human service professional, it's that social worker, it's that advocate who is going to be, if they choose to, it's that advocate who's going to be walking with them as they are trying to put the pieces together again. It's that advocate that's going to be processing with them along with their therapist and their support system who is going to try their best to work through that shame and that guilt and all of that stuff. But I think it's underscored consistently that there are so many other things that that victim and that survivor is processing also. That's right. You know, so if you have that man or woman of color, God forbid it's a man of color who has been a victim of sexual violence. He has got to, and I'm not underscoring what a woman has to deal with mm -hmm. who has been a victim of sexual violence. But I am only imagining the level of shame, guilt, and 
everything that a man has to deal with who is a victim of sexual violence. That's right. That's because, right. you know, there aren't a lot of male advocates out there. So if he chooses to go to the hospital and calls a rape crisis center or a dual servicing agency, nine times out of 10, it's probably a woman that's going to show up at the hospital. Nine times out of 10, she's a human service professional or a social worker. So she is trained to support him. But how comfortable is that man going to be having a woman by his side while he's having a rape kit? That's right. That's right. That's right. Like vice versa. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So, which is why I felt it was so important once you became a friend of Wesley Shelter to see if that's something that you were interested in doing. Not saying that our advocates aren't trained to do it because our advocates are amazing and I think that they are capable. But I also wanted to be aware and I wanted to be culturally competent of what we were doing as an agency and I wanted to be inclusive and I wanted to to be mindful that I wouldn't want a man showing up for a woman in that emergency room in that moment and I just don't know if I, I knew it would probably it might I can't speak because I'm not a male, but it might be more comfortable for a man to see a male advocate walking in the room, especially if that, regardless if that victim is black or white, but imagine if that victim is black. That's right. And he sees someone walk through the door that looks just like him. That representation is so important. And if that man who walks through that door looks like him and he is looking at him with no judgment in the world, like, bro, I'm here in whatever capacity that you need me in this moment because it's about you. It's about your safety in this moment. Nothing else matters. That's right. So when we say on this podcast that representation matters, it matters. It is one, in my opinion, it is one of the most important things you can do for your nonprofit. It is one of the most important things that you can do for your clients is ensure that people that look like them are also providing them the services. To me, it's even more important in crisis situations mm -hmm. because that's when your clients are the most vulnerable. That's right. Very critical. What steps do you think that we as human service professionals and also social workers can take to create cultures that values and prioritizes the safety and well-being of Black and brown individuals in our communities, especially women, when mm -hmm. it comes to sexual violence. So how can we make it more safe is what you're saying? Or are you saying a different way? Mm -hmm. How can we create cultures within our communities that that values and prioritize the safety and well-being of our Black women or women in general? But because we are talking right now, we are talking about communities of color which is why I highlighted communities of color. So people don't come for me. Y'all already know don't come for me. So because I feel that I, I feel it happens for everyone. Mm -hmm. But how do you how how can we create those those safety cultures 
for our, our people when it comes to sexual violence. And the reason why I'm highlighting Black women mm-hmm. is because, so I was having, I was at this round table a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. as an organization that I am doing some work for. And they were preparing for their April events. And so they asked me to come in and kind of help them work through some of their stuff that they wanted to do. There was some race stuff that came up, but there wasn't enough inclusiveness in their messaging. Mm -hmm. And so I had to point out to them the best way that you can, can do this is to ensure that you are being like, don't forget about your black and brown people. That's right. That's right. And so for this particular organization and area, the data supported why they needed to highlight their the black and brown women in the neighborhood and in the area because the statistics for sexual violence against black and brown women were very high. Mm-hmm. Which means your messaging needs to reflect what the data is saying. But there was some pushback, and I get it. There's going to always be some push. I, I feel that I get a lot of pushback when I come into a room and I don't look like a lot of people in the room. And until folks, you know, until I have to put on Dr. Sherry and that folks know, hey, talking four degrees right now so don't get it twisted i know my stuff and lay it all out and show them the value for the community and for the organization then they get it and also looking at the organizational data this is why this is important for your organization Uh uh-huh so let's talk about our community our community where we are Mm -hmm. that's right how can we create that culture? Because we're in a we're we're in a tough community, Jonathan. We are. We are. We're in a tough community. You know, I think what what the organization has planned for April, we are ensuring that we are inclusive. We are ensuring that we are doing something that is going to impact the community, but not excluding anyone. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think I do a really good job of that. I think I do a really good job of being inclusive. I think I do a really good job of ensuring that representation is at the forefront of what we do at the organization. I'm doing a really good job of that with the clients that I have outside of my daytime life. Right, great right word. But there is always going to be some pushback where we are. Yes, it is. Always. Always. (laughs) Always. So how do you think we can continue to create those cultures, especially when it comes to our male victims and survivors? I mean, do you think it's do you think we just continue to do things the way we've been doing it? And I just continue to not give a care and continue to push through? Or do you think that there are intentional steps that we can take? To because con- I don't care, and I'm mm-hmm. going to continue to keep 
pressing the envelope and keep pushing forward and not caring what people think because these things are important to me. And I will create safe cultures for people to come to Wesley Shelter. I will create inclusive environments for people to come and feel safe. I don't care who you are. But how do we do that for our community outside of Wesley Shelter? Yeah, our community in general, you're saying. Community in general. Yeah, that, that's, that's the thing. Yes, it is. It's it's so much. I, I say macro and micro level. Uh, macro. I, I think meso also. Yeah, de- definitely. We got to look at both sides, like you said. One, you know, Dr. Shea, you have to look at what you said, too. Men, but also just like men has to make the pledge, black women, because I know we're saying black women in particular, women in particular, but have to also re not allow themselves to be re-perpetrated of creating the same image to the young girls, right? Mm-hmm. And what I mean, uh, so I give an example, a macro example. Uh, so many to think about, but I'm going to say it in a way that I said a sincere male advocate. So, okay, let's, let's take this like, not in a gossiping way, but just saying the truth on how powerful media is. Like, okay, Gabrielle Union. So we've heard Amazing Actress, she was actually raped herself when she was 19 years old I'm at a shoe store, mm-hmm. reading her story. Right. There was a lot she of anxiety. She talked about it in one of her books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anxiety and PTSD. Now, recently you had the black male quarterback, Jalen Hurts, who I remember uh, they was going through the Eagles and about to win the championship. And, you you know, for them, I know they, ha- they have a platform. And I know she had... Allegedly, it was allowed to be put out because she she was on an interview with Seth Meyers show and saying that it was a, you know, like just an amazing a women group just excited about him and talking about possibly sleeping with him and stuff like that. And even if that's a yes, it was said and quoted by her that she never rebuttaled it. Now, I, I'm not saying what's true, what's not. But you and I know how quick people be to quit. Like, hey, don't put my name out there in the streets like that. Don't put my name in community. Mm-hmm. But it was allowed to stay that way. It was allowed to be this image of that with him and the media on things and stuff like that. And that goes back to your point. When, when you look at that, that also re-perpetrates this image of success or status or having money. And a woman can be just picked up off her feet and just sleep with her, right? Literally, like you can right. just her. So, I would say that with her um, and a lot of the women, you know, the women, especially the black women actresses in Hollywood about just, you know, what you allow yourself to to show and represent. And you have to also speak out just like men. And of course, not Gabriel's not the only one, but I'm saying it's the same, same floor. Right. I'm looking like right. men has to be accountable. So do women. You have to also not let young boys and young girls hear that, that. Because, oh, there we go. I want to be a football player like Jalen Hurts. And nothing's wrong with that. I want to go to this. I want to do that. But I can have somebody. Because then it goes to your mind that I can sleep with whoever. I can grab a right. woman to identify her because I got money and status. So we mm-hmm, have to, mm-hmm. on a macro level, our role models have to honor that. And role model, you're right, role model differences and not the nonsense uh, that we have to keep putting down on a macro level. Now, the micro level... It's, it starts with everything. You know, teachers, I feel, has to also also has to even respect kids for getting stuff wrong, right? 
And the reason I'm saying that with questions is because you got to create an atmosphere of vulnerability. So you can use that to still talk about sexual and, you know, sexual education and all of that. But, you know, not creating this atmosphere where a lot of times I, I did research when I was in um, college to a state that I share about uh, the I followed this premise of my theory was about the destruction of young black boys and what was going okay. through about how or kill them before they grow. So research was saying, of course, when you're raising your hand in class, right, you're trying and you get stuff wrong and you're just put down and belittled, you start leaving your hands down, right? So you stop answering questions, you stop trying. And, and what I'm saying is that can also foster to the same with sexual violence awareness. You have to create vulnerability moments and it has to also be seen from all these aspects that's critical peers and like I said, social and teachers and, and you know, that having a son yourself, you know, any of them in school, they're in school more, like they're working, right? They're in school right. more than home and they sleeping when they're home in the evening. They during the during the week is like rest, is week. So like we have to reinforce vulnerability and encouragement and not stereotyping, you know, from the macro level of those role models to the like yourself, to the advocates like yourself and us in the community of supporting that. Absolutely. I mean, I think that needs to be what I do appreciate is there are positive messaging. Yes. On social media around male-female dynamic or male-male dynamic or female-female dynamic. And I'm talking about intimately or parent. And so that's beautiful to see. Mm -hmm. And I find I see it more and more lately, which is really good to see, especially with, you know, young people being glued and tied to to social media so much that there are these positive messaging going on now around, you know, father-son dynamics and stuff like that. So it's, it's really good to see. But I do think that reinforcement of gender hierarchies is definitely there. You know, there is a toxic trait there but there's you can also flip it and let it be it can it can be a positive trait there you know you you spoke a little bit to the toxic the toxicity in it that you know the reinforcement of gender hierarchies it often reinforces the idea that men are superior to women and women are subservient that's the toxicity mm-hmm. of it you know oftentimes my husband and I we have the conversation about you know, what, what submissive looks like and, and subservient uh, spouses, what that looks like. And, you know, we've brought it down to, we are subservient to one another. There is no, because he's the man that I am subservient to him. We are subservient to one another. And because of this, it has changed. One, it's changed our marital dynamic, but it it's also, it's changed like conversations in our household and it's changed his outlook on a lot of things. My husband is older than I am. So it's just changed how he views some things, which is a healthy thing. It's it's completely healthy, but it's just changed how he has viewed some things when it comes to gender hierarchy. But that gender hierarchy, like I grew up in a household where it was a very religious submissive 
every sense of the word. And it was beautiful to see because that was that worked for my grandparents. It wouldn't work for my marriage, but it worked for my grandparents. But there were a lot of dynamics, not my grandparents' dynamics, but I also see and hear and have had numbers of conversations with clients over the three decades that I've done this work who've had the same kind of dynamics, but they haven't been healthy. There has been abuse going on. There has been childhood sexual abuse going on. There has been, you know, that notion of what goes on in this house stays in this house, that whole dynamic that has gone on. And because of those kinds of messaging, those messages are usually put out by the male in the household, which is why a lot of trauma is usually swept up under the rug. It's never, ever talked about. And when it is talked about, the person's well in their adulthood, has already had children of their own, maybe even a marriage or two or three, four or five, whatever, no judgment. But it's already well into their adulthood that they've decided to process the trauma. And it's because of these unhealthy messages that were put out in the family dynamic that caused a child not to speak up because they were being sexually abused. Or it caused a teenager not to speak up because him or her. And when I say a child, I don't just mean a a little girl. I'm talking about a little boy also to not speak up because they were being sexually abused because what happens in the house stays in the house. And people not business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I can't speak for any other household, but the black household. And this is messaging. I know, and you probably can, can speak to this. Also, you sit down and talk to any one of your friends Mm-hmm. And that was the message that you were told growing up. That's so right. Tell nobody our business. That's what right. In this house stays in this house, mm-hmm. and that was gospel. That's right. Yes, it was. But those kinds of messaging had very traumatic consequences for a lot of people. Yeah. Yes, it have. And I, and I see a lot too, Doctor. I know you relate relate to what we're saying about us being both trauma resilient educators. A lot of times you're doing this ACEs study about trauma. In so many cases, cases, the older woman that's a mother now, her daughter that's going through it is usually two generations, right? Or, or it may, you know, you I see that so much where the shoot the apple don't fall too far from the tree, and it's like because the trauma wasn't ever dealt with, now it's happening to the new generation, and both never talked about it. Right. So, Absolutely. you know, it's a disconnect. Yep. So that goes Absolutely. on too often. Absolutely. It's, it, it happens a lot. Or you are an adult child and now you're, you are hearing about the trauma as an adult that your parents have experienced. That's right. And That's you're right. trying to figure out as an adult, like, how do I process all of this? Mm-hmm. How? It's just, it it can be a lot for someone and it's these kinds of messages that keep sexual violence and keep survivors and keep victims from not coming forward. One of the things that boils my blood 
when I say boils my blood, I mean boils my blood like a pot of grits boiling over. Mm-hmm. Is when I hear someone say, well, why they wait so long to come forward? That mm-hmm. boils my blood. Mm-hmm. And I heard a lot of people say it when the when all of the women were coming forward, when the situation with Bill Cosby, and I heard a lot of people say it during the Harvey Weinstein situation, and you know, of course, the R. Kelly situation. Like, I cannot stand to hear people say that. You don't know that person's experience. You don't know why that person didn't right, come forward. Right, Just right. be happy that that person had the strength to finally come forward and say something so their healing can begin. That's right. That's right. It ain't your business why they didn't say anything. That's right. Happy for that sister. Be happy for that brother that they finally found a little bit of strength, whatever it was that made them come forward that day at that point in their life to come forward and to say something. Just be happy that their healing and the hope that they have for their life can start. That's because it ain't your business. That's right. That's right. And and sharing with what you said, uh, my pet peeve is strong like you is you and I both know trauma has no sense of time. And that's it does not have to understand you it, it's not gonna and then along with that minds is when they do that like you said is when you try to rush people on their healing so get over oh. it get over it let it yes. go yes and, and that's that's some of the worst most detrimental things too now i have let it out and now because i'm you supposed really to be over it yeah mm-hmm. you want to hurry up and be done with it so i i agree we have to that's part of the solutions safe environments like you say it don't matter how long mm-hmm. this takes if i want to have this talk at coffee monday and coffee friday just be a friend or don't be an associate step away if you don't want to be willing that you can't handle it don't do it don't lie about it but put them in therapy or you know support if you're going to be a supportive friend be support and i think that's so important too we got to create only one safe environments Relationship. What people need to understand is being a victim and survivor of trauma, mm-hmm. that healing is a lifelong process. Yes, it is. You can be 12 to 20 years past the date that it happened and something can happen in your life, a smell a sound, anything can happen that can evoke a feeling that can just bring up that emotion. That's why trauma reminds us. That's right. Absolutely. My hope is that that person has done some work. So when that does happen, they can regulate themselves. But you can't. It's a lifelong process. You don't have to sit in it forever, but you have to work on ensuring that you are working. You're not working from a place of trauma forever. Mm -hmm. It's a lifelong process and it's nobody's business to tell you when you should be over something traumatic. That's right. That's right. Okay. I'm getting all worked up. (laughs) Let me ground myself. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's <Woo>! right. <laughs> yeah, it's okay, serious so last question. Yeah, it is. So how can men be more proactive in holding perpetrators of sexual violence accountable while supporting survivors and promoting healing and recovery? I know that's a loaded question. Mm. Yeah, how because you, you know that? in this in mm-hmm. this work, sometimes we are confronted with both. We are confronted with the perpetrator, and we are confronted with the survivor. You know, one of the hardest things with doing this work is that, mm-hmm. unfortunately, sometimes the victim has also been the perpetrator. So, how do you hold space for both? Mm-hmm. And how can you be how can you be proactive as a professional to hold accountable perpetrators? With us as a whole, or us as professionals, Dr. Sherry, us professionals? as professionals, us as mm-hmm. professionals, or just from as a man, as men, as the whole collective, as mm-hmm. advocates, because I am holding men mm-hmm. not even as advocates. I am holding men as accomplices. Mm-hmm. Accomplices mm-hmm. Is, is a, you know, accomplices is different than being an ally or an advocate. If you are an accomplice, you in this with us. So mm-hmm. as an accomplice, how can how can you be more proactive in holding perpetrators of sexual violence accountable while supporting survivors and promoting their healing? Well, well, we need, well, what we have to do is foster the same. We have to foster as men, we have to foster like a no to- zero tolerance policy ourselves, right? Just like if, right. God forbid, uh, just like the situation with the, with uh, Tyree Titus and that happening, that ugly situation with the police officers that were black males, we have to, we have to show that same outrage and energy. That's what we have to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. be willing yep. to show that. Yeah, as men in the barbershops and take a take a march downtown Wilson or take a march, you know, in general about those same issues the same way. That's what we have to foster as men. And like you said, solid in a spirit of solidarity, like you said, uh solidarity, excuse me. We have to do it both sides. We have to have it with men doing that and then women joining in together, right? Or or like you said, the um Whichever organization, LGBT, all of us coming together as colleagues with all of this energy for all these issues, right? Sexual victims and you know racism victims and LGBT victims. We have to we have to give that collective energy and and zero tolerance in our conversations. You know, not letting it be disrespect about that can lead to like you said violence about right. what a woman's wearing or how she looks and she got to be loose or fast and. Shutting it down, not entertaining it. That's right. something I have to do. Like even especially in the barbershops, you know, you have to do mm-hmm. that. You you know, like if you quick to jump on their bandwagon, the energy gets more aggressive. So have and you to, part so, of the problem, not the solution. Yes, that's right. So you have to, we have to have that courage uh, to do that on both sides, and it has to be like I said, both sides, and it has to be women advocates doing the same too, you know, supporting that and encouraging supporting men that's being vulnerable that way instead of definitely not the, oh, you gay or you too soft and all this kind of negative talk and more about support together. So we have to foster and create these environments in social services too, right? That's, 
to me, Dr. Absolutely. Sherry, one of, one of the biggest environments that can be very detrimental. You have to create that environment and these institutions like that, that people coming in literally for help or mental health or the shelter. So we have to foster that. You have to, it's a, it, to me, it's also about accountability. So yes. I love the example that you used a minute ago. Like it did not matter that those officers were black. They were wrong. So we're going to hold them accountable the same way we would hold white officers accountable. The outrage is the same. At least for yeah. me, it's the same. That's right. Um, so it's about accountability, period. So we need to hold folks accountable and we need to ensure while holding people accountable, we need to ensure that survivors are getting the best from us as professionals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're getting, you know, that they're getting non-judgment, that they are getting our active listening, that they are getting our empathy, that they are getting the best services that they can get from us, that we as service providers, that we are staying educated. We recently found out that they added an extra step to the same kit. So we have to stay educated on those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to make sure that we know when things are changing within the victim's compensation process, they participating in trainings and that kind of stuff. I think we also have to serve as role models. So if we are going to disrupt systems and hold perpetrators accountable, we have to disrupt systems and ensure that victims get the services and the resources that they need. That's so right. that look like if we go to the hospital and have a kit done and the doctors and the nurses aren't doing it right, we need to step up and say, ah, ah, you're not supposed to do that. So ensuring that we're doing that and you know, support survivors support survivors through and through because mm -hmm. that's what it's all about it's all about the survivor healing mm -hmm. that's right that's, that's right most important thing well jonathan this has been so good we could talk for hours i think give us the right thing to talk about give us a good topic and we can go on and on and on so I appreciate you for always being open to talk about things that I love to talk about. Cause when I love to talk about it and I let you know, you love to talk about it too. So yeah, I, I appreciate you too. I appreciate you too. And I know in closing, can I make one more comment on what you just said? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, I know you had this question and I know we're talking about this question. I feel like the almighty and all, when we talk about sexual violence, we're talking about the LGBT community. We're talking racism. We're talking about intersectionality, period. Like you said about how we all are affected. The mm -hmm. biggest one of the biggest solutions I feel we have to do, and I'm going to follow this and be accountable with us in the shelter, we have to start having a segmented approach. And what I mean is, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, like, okay, I'm an LGBT uh, friend of mine, transgender with kills, so only us is doing the candlelight vigil. Only only LGBT population is outraged. Or a young black, you know, a young black boy has been shot. So only African Americans are, are coming together. So in order for us to really, we like you said earlier, I love your point. Actually, it's a human issue, and that's what right. upsets the most too. We have to stop. Like when once again, when Tyree Nichols were killed, 
it's not about the same story. Here's another black male to a cop or blah, blah, blah. Here's another human being that was killed and it was, it was violently killed. So we have to treat it like colorless, and like make it colorful, but colorless too. Like really, yes, he's a black male. Yes, he's police, but he's a human. Yes, the LGBT, you know, those transgender, because research showed that a lot of them are uh, typically women. Transgender women that has been killed. Transgender women, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have to. I had same with me challenging Jonathan. Like I have to. Uh, my as a social worker and professional, you're right. In love, I can back it up. With my spiritual, that's a different thing. But I still have to love someone who who may be me that's choosing to be a woman that was killed violently with her expression, the same way as a young right. boy. And we because this to- is how I look at it, Jonathan. How a person chooses to live, it ain't your business. It's right. your business to show up for that person. Yes. Yes. That's that's all your job is to show up for that person. Because your job is if you were on the other side of that desk, and if it were you, how would you want someone to show up for you? Period. Exactly. Exactly. And that's all I was giving to the, the answer. Like you said to that, Sherry, we have to stop segmented approaches. We got to stop. Absolutely. And because it affects my immediate household and who it is, yep. we have to maybe put that together. We have to, have, we're going to protest on every issue. So whatever yep. happens, we all out there, we all out there. So yep. that's my final piece. I want to yep. say we got to stop segmented. No, I appreciate you. I appreciate you for saying that. You know, I, take the stance that all are welcome at Western yes. Shelter. I mm. don't care who you, I mean, and you know that because That's you right. have been at Wesley Shelter, you have seen how I function. So this is not yes, me putting myself out there. You have seen how I work. You see how I function. All are welcome at Wesley Shelter. And that's right. how I function in my life, even in my personal life. All are welcome, as long as you treat me right. That's right. All are welcome. Mm-hmm. I do what I do because I know if I were on the other side of that desk, how would I want someone to show up for me? So I'm right. always going to show up. I'm going to always show up because I have been a victim of crime and I do know what it feels to be a victim. Mm. I know what that feels like. And I was already deep in this work when I was a victim of crime. So mm. I know what it feels like to be that person, but I also know, I know what it means to be on the other side of that desk. So I want to thank Jonathan for joining me today to talk about this amazing topic. I'm so glad that you shed some light from the male perspective. Thank you. Jonathan, make sure you do some self-care. You promise? Yes. Thank you so much. All right. So remember, y'all, self-care is health care and kindness is free. So do me a favor and be kind to someone today. I love you for listening. And until next time, be good to yourself and to others. Bye.